Welcome to The Scientific Method. We are Pacific Northwest University of Health Sciences foray into the world of intellectually entertaining dialogue. From healthcare to pop culture, controversial conversations to advancements in scientific technology and more, we provide expert insight on science and society. We are an exercise in overcoming the noise and discovering the truth. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, today's episode is particularly star-studded, not that our past episodes haven't been, but today joining us is the Dean of our College of Osteopathic Medicine, Dr. Thomas Scandalis, which was really, really exciting to have him on. And not just because of his cool bow ties. Yeah, he but that's a huge really part cool. of it. That is, I mean, it is a big part, but yeah. <laughs> we also have our first recurring guests ever. Um, Dr. Robert Sorrells rejoins us. If you haven't heard his first conversation with us on artificial intelligence, you're I highly, out. yeah, highly encourage you to listen to that one because that was a, that was one of my favorite episodes so far. I was gonna say it's a doozy, yeah, but I don't think cool people say that. So no, I'm not they don't say, say that, that anymore. Okay. <laughs> um, not anymore, anyway. They used to. Um, also joining us, we have a special guest on this episode: uh, former NFL tight end and Super Bowl champion Ben Utek. Uh, ben recently wrote a book on the topic that we're going to discuss today, which is CTE and the effects that head trauma and concussions can have on the people who suffer from them, not only short-term effects, but CTE being a long-term, lifelong effect that many of the athletes that we cheer on every Sunday are dealing with after they leave the football field, take off the helmet, and return to their families and their children. One of the cool things about having been on the show is that we're going to be able to get an inside look at this disease and really what the effects are from somebody who's experienced it personally. I think it's one thing to have... Um, some doctors sit around in a room and talk about something, but to have somebody who's actually going through that, um, I think is going to bring a lot of meaning to this conversation. Yeah, it's fantastic to hear Ben to not only talk about those first person experiences, but to have him be able to bounce those off of these doctors who, in the case of Dr. Scandalis, has had direct experience in the boxing world with things such as concussions and the long term effects of those, but also understand what's going on in the brain at the time when things like that are taking place and they know the long-term and short-term effects and they can kind of help with not only understanding what's going on but leading to uh, a better way to treat the players after they retire and after we stop cheering them on on that football field on Sundays. So without further ado, here is our episode of The Scientific Method on CTE and The Truth Below the Helmet. So, the reason that we're having this conversation today on CTE is because there was a recent study done that said that 99% of the brains of deceased former NFL players that were examined showed signs of this CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And uh, it's a degenerative brain disease that's linked to repeated hits to the head. And this study also examined the, brain, the brains of former college players and former high school players. College players had a 91% chance of having CTE in this study, and 21% of the former high school player brains that were examined also had CTE. Um, so, Ben, you played for years in the league, and in your time since, you've kind of discussed the impact that these repeated head traumas that you suffered have had on you. So first, we want to kind of talk about what CTE is, uh, the causes behind it, and what's understood about it currently. So, Dr. Scandalis or Dr. Sorrells, if you guys could comment on that for us. Well, sure. Um, you know, CTE is a is a chronic case from the as you see from the name, and CTE usually is a is a result of several head blows, so multiple concussions. And what happens is that when you have a concussion, you have a little metabolic cascade that happens in the brain that causes more vulnerability to future blows to the head. So CTE is basically a chronic condition that happens from a lot of acute um, insults to the head. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be caused by. Uh a s extreme impact is what I understand either, right? It doesn't even have to be a concussion. It can just be uh, repeated blows to the head, small traumas. Certainly can be, and, and that's the, with the metabolic cascade and the, and the increased vulnerability of the brain, they can be sub-concussive events. So usually think of a concussion as having loss of consciousness and usually see that 
for example, on the football playing field, but a lot of times you have events that just cause dizziness or you may have some tunnel vision or maybe even no behavioral signs at all, but you've had some stretching of axons, you've had some insult to the neurons and the glial cells in the brain. Now, a sport like football, that impacts like that happen on every single play. It's been estimated that um, per game, um, an NFL player has 90 hits to the head if you take a 16-game season, that's 1,440 impacts to the head, and that's not including preseason or even practices. So, And then that's not even including their college career and their high school career and peewee football. So you're talking about thousands and thousands of head impacts over, over time. So what are the, uh, the results of a disease like this, these repeated head traumas and the potential uh, existence of CTE in a brain, what happens or what occurs? What are the symptoms that go along with that? Well, the, the symptoms that go along with it are, are things like memory loss, um, um, uh, uncontrollable emotion, uncontrollable affect, um, language problems, attention problems. And basically what happens is that during these um, uh, accelerations of the head, either rotational or forward and backward accelerations, um, you know, the brain is encased in, a, in bone, and that bone is there for protection. But the problem with that is that the brain is going to slosh up against that bone when you're hitting the head. Um, and so you're going to have uh, damage to uh, axons, which are going to connect different neurons together. You're going to lose connectivity across the brain such that um, your normal functioning and attention um, are, are, in essence, offline. And so it takes much more effort to remember something or much more effort to, to speak your mind or to... Or to have an appropriate response to some type of, uh, of stimuli. Now, Ben, in your experiences with this, have you experienced any of those symptoms or any of the, the things that Dr. Soros is talking about here? Yeah, those those symptoms were, were the, uh, the memory loss, some of the language uh, difficulty was uh, the, the, the two main symptoms that uh, led me to, to choose to walk away from the game. And so, you know, I think they, they kind of, when I came out, you know, they were, players were put into two categories, uh, memory and behavioral changes. And so, um, you know, for me, it, it, it really was more of an issue of, co you know, uh, increased cognitive weakness and uh, struggle with uh, working memory. Now, getting into football, I've heard a lot of people talk about this and say that when you begin playing football, you kind of understand that there are side effects to this. But some of the things that I've read from you personally, Ben, you talk about having no recollection of close friends' weddings. You talk about difficulty remembering even momentous occasions like the Super Bowl ring ceremony. When you got involved with the sport as a kid, did you ever imagine that this would be uh, a potential result of playing for all those years? Well, you know, that's a it is a tricky question because you, um, I think it was... It, it has always been understood that contact sports increase risk for injury. Um, I, I think that, you know, to, to take upon that assumption of risk is, is pretty normal when you choose football. Um, traumatic brain injury concussions uh, was a little bit different because um, of the way that the injury was defined and the way that it was uh, presented to the players. And so, I don't think I, I don't think there there was enough information at the time to really understand what the injury was and how serious uh, it can be, especially in regard to long term effects. So from that perspective, uh, it, it really wasn't. This is, uh, and I'm, you know, it's it's a little sad to say. I I I was negligent to understand what a concussion was, all the way up until. Uh, really the last two concussions that took me out of the game. So uh, we've come a long way, obviously, since then, and players now, I, I believe, have a much more uh, greater understanding for what this injury is. But it's that edu education is, is incredibly important. Can you talk a bit about the education that you may have received or the lack of education that you received from the teams that you played for? What did they tell you when you suffered a concussion, team doctors or the team themselves, about returning to play or – the possible uh, effects of having that concussion playing again? Well, there wasn't, to be honest with you, there wasn't a whole lot to, to tell. I mean, my, my first significant concussion in college, 
uh, I was knocked unconscious um, against against Baylor. Ran into one of my own teammates head first, and um, you know came to with a bloody nose, and they took me off the field and and uh, diagnosed me with a concussion. And, and I did not go back in to play that game, but I did go back into full contact practice the next day. And it was you know there was really nothing further to discuss. There was no impact testing at the time. There was no creating a baseline and, and working um, through any type of rehabilitation program to to return to baseline. And so uh, that I didn't experience that until I went to play with the, uh, for the Colts in 2004, uh, where, where impact testing had just begun um, getting the neurological baseline and, and then if uh, facing a concussion, uh, going through that, uh, that cognitive program um, until you got back to your to your baseline before return to play, but that's about as far as it was. Well, <clears throat> this is Tom Scandal. Has been, you know, at least they were honest enough uh, during your first concussion to actually say you had a concussion. Um, right. Previous to that, um, the nomenclature was, "Well, son, you just got your bell rung," and yep. so it really softened the whole issue and made players feel like this is part of the game and normal, because um, clearly. When you get your bell rung, you know something's wrong. Either you're dizzy or confused or you have visual changes. You know something's wrong. But when they tell you, well, you just got your bell rung, are you ready to go? Of course, a football player say, yeah, I'm ready to go. Right. Well, and, and you know, th that game uh, was on national television. And so I was unconscious for over 20 seconds on the field. And it was a, it was an ordeal. I, 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 I would assume that if I would have ran into my player and my and my vision would have gone out for a for, for a moment and I would have kind of stumbled to my feet, chances are, you know, I would have been back on the field. And so, um, I think you're absolutely right. I think that you know that that gray area, which was getting your bell rung, has now been clearly defined, and we're seeing the effects that that is having on the game. And that's part of the problem with the diagnosis and recognition of, of concussions because most of the time concussions do not result in unconsciousness. And so at that time, the only way you can make the diagnosis is if a player tells you how they're feeling. And mm -hmm. in the heat of the battle, they're not necessarily going to do that. They don't want to be seen as weak. They want to see as, you know, they're warriors, um, strap it back on and go out there. And so that's mm -hmm. where all these sub-concussive um, impacts are cumulative and not um, diagnosed uh, appropriately. Can you talk a bit about uh, just, it seems like the nature of the sport of football um, almost forces that to come into play where players, you always hear this idea of being hurt versus injured and players not wanting to let down their team and even when they are hurt, battling through those injuries because there's, uh, I mean at every moment of the game there's 11 guys who are all working towards the same goal and what what's the feeling when you're injured and you should be uh, or you feel like you should be participating in helping your team? Well, I would I would say at you know at, at every at every level it, you know the pressure um, and stress for you to be on the field increases and so uh, but at the same time you know the, the not wanting to disappoint your your teammates not wanting to, to disappoint your peers and your coaches. Um, you know, is, is a part of the game. And, uh, you know, we, we try really hard to promote a, a pro brain pro game message to the NFL players association in hopes to, you know, kind of build a security blanket so that players feel more comfortable, uh, educating them to emotionally connect into the importance of their mind and their memories. So that if, if, if in fact that injury does arise, they're, they're honest about it. Even Aaron Rodgers said you know this last year i think the, you know the one thing we need to we need to change is we, we need players to feel comfortable enough to to talk about it and so uh, that's why this last year the nfl players association put out the first con educational concussion dvd um you know using current former players using uh you know experts in 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 the field to to really, I think, give a, a well-rounded, both medical and emotional picture to to this injury, and and we're hoping that that has a waterfall effect on players um, feeling 
like they can come forward. Well, you know, you, you mentioned about education, and I think that's key, Ben. Education for players, coaches, parents, administrators, um, and, the, and the clinical faculty that takes care of athletes. You, you referenced, Paul, this um, you're either injured or you're hurt. And so this is more coach speak. Uh, because from a clinical and a scientific perspective, it's laughable. The reason mm-hmm. why you hurt is because there's an injury at some level. Mm. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and I also think it's the one of the problems is that there's such a gap between the injury or the insult itself and then the behavioral manifestations later. So it's like, you know, uh, carbon dioxide and climate change or, or mm. remember cigarettes and cancer. The people denied that for the longest time. And so, Ben, I think it's really important, and I really uh, resonate with what you're saying here, that education is really, really important. But then, of course, you have people who deny the education um, or deny the science because there's such a gap between that having your bell rung and then not not being able to remember someone's name a few years later. And then, contrary to some popular beliefs, the, the injury doesn't happen months or years later. The injury is cumulative, so it's happening all the time. It just doesn't manifest until it reaches a certain level. So, Ben, I would be curious to know, do, do, did you ever sign any, like, um, uh, conformed consent um, after this type of education? Do you, is there some sort of mechanism to say that, yes, I've had this education and I understand it? Is there some kind of process like that? Uh, not, not that I'm aware of at this point. I, I, when I came out of, when I retired in 2010, um, there was actually a waiver that was created that teams could use for players with concussion histories, um, whereby which they could absolve themselves of, of any uh, responsibility. Um, so if, if they wanted to have a player, but the player had a concussion history like myself, you know, they, they could ask me to sign that waiver um, in order, you know, for me to have an opportunity to play again. <laughs> it's crazy to think about that kind of stuff, but, but, you know, I, I, you know, it, it really does kind of push into the, the culture of American sports. Um, and the fact that we even, you know, the fact that we even have to talk about waivers and consent forms, and it just goes to show that education is so important at the same time, if you don't, if you don't actually change the heart, if you don't change the way a person feels about the education, then it, then it just disappears. And so I think, it's this it's this combination of how do we how do we get people to um, how do we get people to have empathy for this injury and at the same time um, educate them on what it is and, and what to do if it happens. But and this is a tricky part, how do we then continue to promote um, promote this game of football that, that I still love to play? One thing that has come up over and over again in my research of this, and it's an obvious thing that should come up right away, is the idea that the NFL is a major business, and there's a lot of business to be lost if they admit that this game is inherently very dangerous and can have serious side effects on the players that play it. Um, Mm -hmm. I read about their partnership shortly after the suicide of uh, Junior Seau. They had a $30 million partnership agreement with the NIH, and just this last August, their partnership, they allowed it to expire, and there was $16 million of that $30 million that was left unspent. And a lot of people mm-hmm. speculate that that money went unspent because the results coming back in were not results that really benefited the NFL or the business of the league. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a bit about that or just the idea that this is sure. a dangerous game and I don't know what the changes would be to fix the game? Well, a couple of things to dissect there. One, one you made a really good point, and in and that is just to remind people that the NFL is a business. And I think it's also important to remind them what kind of business it is and that it's a, it's a franchise and you don't typically equate the NFL with, with uh, McDonald's or Subway or the list goes on. But the reality is it's a franchise model is built on cost per unit, right? And how do you replicate a, pro, a, a menu of products and services? And so um, when you look at it through the lens of franchising, uh, every single player is a cost per unit. And so anything that affects having that cost per unit being effective uh, and making money is going to draw, you know, is going to draw, you know, pretty significant defense. And that's, that's, I think, why you see, 
the NFL um, responding to the concussions the way that they do. Um, and so I think it's, it is important to understand and always ask yourself, um, where is the money? Where is it going? And who's affected by it? Because I think you'll, you'll find a lot of answers when you do that. And, um, you know, secondly, uh, to your, to your second, well, remind me of your second part of your question. Um, so the second part of the question was just the idea that it's a dangerous game in and of itself and to change the sport kind of takes away from why people enjoy it so much, but it seems like changes are necessary in order to, to counteract these. Well, you can't, so you can't change, you can't change a sport. And I, I, and I, um, I think that, that the new rules that are in play, um, are very, are very good, but they're not, they're not changing they're not changing the, the nature of the game, which is a which is a full contact sport, um, but they are providing um, they are providing more more security for players, which uh, which is something that we need to continue to do, especially from a non biased perspective. But I do think it's important to to just understand that you know the game is what it is, and you you cannot have football or any other contact sport without concussions. That's why I refer to them as an externality of the game. You know, they, they are synonymous. You can't, you're never going to be able to remove them. So then you have to ask yourself, well, how, what, what do we do as an NFL organization in order to put people's put, you know, put people at peace, you know, and, and, and for me as a former player, it's, making sure that the long-term care health care of our, of our current and former players are taken care of, you know, and I think that if we can do that and if we can give them full assumption of risk, uh, then, you know, I think we can sit back and continue to enjoy the game. So I'm going to be a little provocative, Ben. Um, I was a ringside physician for USA boxing for about 15 years and I was a team physician for the U S national team for a few years. And that was a time when physician organizations came out um, to uh, ban boxing. Um, yep. it, it never happened, never materialized. Um, I think it did dissuade some parents from letting their, their children uh, go into boxing. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me, as the evidence is mounting and very clear, that a physician organization wouldn't come out to ban football. And I think that there's a lot to be said for that. I love the game. Americans love the game. It's our, it's our national pastime, you know, baseball notwithstanding. Um, but you have a game where you would acknowledge that you can't play football without having concussions sustained by the players. Mm -hmm. And so virtually every single NFL player is going to have evidence of CTE and different mm -hmm. manifestations of that. So how is we as, as a society, how can we allow this to happen just for the entertainment of people and and these people are actually sacrificing not only joints but their brains um, to the to this for this game. Well, that's geez, that, that's you know what a important and challenging question to answer. You know, it's um, I was a national spokesperson on concussion for the American Academy of Neurology for two years, and you are correct. The only sport that they've ever banned is boxing. Um, you know, I mean, it could be argued that one difference is that in boxing, it, it is, it is a primary goal to get a TKO to actually deliver a brain injury. Um, whereas in football, you know, the goal is to, to go in and play a game, um, uh, to do it the right way and to, and to win. Um, there's, there, not to say individually, on different teams, as we've seen in the past, that there are, that there aren't players who are are uh, dirty players that are trying to injure people. But the reality is, is you don't step on the field. I never once stepped on the field with any intent to injure an opposing player. And so, you know, you could make that argument that there's a there's a difference there between uh, the nature of boxing and football. But um, It'll be, I think the answer to, to if any, if any association is, or organization is going to come out and, and um, make a stance against football is going to come through pure medical evidence. I mean, if anything I learned being associated with the neurologists of America is that 
um, these people care more about the brain than anybody that I've ever met. And if, if evidence, sound evidence reveals that this game in fact causes brain disease, I think then you're going to start to see based upon medical evidence, uh, people, you know, um, more of these groups stepping out and, and voicing that opinion, whether that actually has effect on American culture, that that's going to be, I think the big question. Mm. You, you mentioned uh, your work with a neuro- neurological society. Did you happen to come across a neurosurgeon named uh, Robert Cantu? Yeah, Robert Cantu was my was my um, second opinion doctor uh, in my concussion case um, when I retired. So yeah. I know Robert real well. Yeah, he he would he kind of led the charge. I guess it was probably the late '80s about this, and I'm wondering what, what is his opinion on it. Hmm. Um, well, there's going to be multiple opinions, I'm sure, on, on different, on different focus questions. But, um, I mean, he's, at the end of the day, he's, he's passionate about, about protecting, um, protecting players, uh, from, from brain injury. He's, he's been a huge advocate for me. Uh, I know he's an advisor to the NFL, you know, which, um, and he, and he loves sports. So it's, it's a balance between, again, trying to find, you know, what, what is the right message and how do we really approach, you know, um, our advocacy with this sport? I mean, uh, you know, because there's, it's multi-layered, you know, you can have some like Jerry Jones, who's, who doesn't even think CTE is real. And then you can have others on the far right, like Bennett O'Malo, who doesn't think that, that uh, you should even play the game of football, period. And so I think, you know, uh, you'd have to ask Dr. Cantu, but I'm, he, I think he kind of falls more in the, in, the, in the middle of that scope. Ben, you know, you mentioned that, you know, if the, once the science was emphatic about football causing um, concussion and football causing CTE, that there would be, um, you know, more, more action taken, you know, and it'll probably start with youth football and things like that. Um, but the science is, is actually already is already there, um, and of course it's, it's not football that causes CTE. It's it's the head blows, right. you know. Yep. So you know, I'm wondering. So there are different ways we could. We you talked about changing the culture. We could change the the culture about what football is. That's a difficult thing sure. to do. Or we could right. change perhaps how we take care of our athletes um, yep. once they're yep. fully informed of what they've what they've signed up for. Um, yep. So therapies are being developed now to um, to help alleviate these long-term effects of, of concussion, uh, magnesium infusions. Uh, there's mm-hmm. new mm-hmm. drugs to treat astrocytes and glial cells. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but still, what we're talking about is that you're taking um, what's basically an entertainer, um, and then the entertainer signs on and says, "Well, I know this is going to happen to me, so then take care of me for the rest of my life." So we can we can go that way, or maybe we could change. Uh, the equipment, you know, because with the with the advent of the Rydell helmet, concussions went up tenfold, um, and that's where that culture. Once we had a Rydell helmet, that hard shell helmet, that's where we got that culture of put a hat on somebody. It doesn't matter if they're in the play or not. Always put a hat on somebody. Um, mm-hmm. And so I wonder what would happen if we had NFL players wear a soft helmet. What do you think that would do to the game? That way you wouldn't I mean, want to hit somebody in the head. <laughs> You know, I, and, and this response is not, you know, to make light of the, the question, but it, it's it's a it's a non it's a non question. I mean, it, it'll never happen. I I I think that you know, you going that rugby route, going that soft that soft shell route, in theory, you know, makes um, makes sense. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you're dealing with a you're dealing with grown adults who are. You know, if you're giving them, which they are today, if you're giving them full assumption of risk, if they fully understand now what a concussion is and what the potential long-term effects are, and they still look at that contract and say, you know, sign me up, which 98% of them are going to continue to do, then, then the game just, it, it will never go in that direction, even though what you're, what you're you know, what you're, you know, what you're promoting makes makes some sense that to me this is why the focus really needs to be on children it needs it needs to be on how do we change the culture 
uh, and the entrance age in youth sports. Um, I think that that, that is, that is the, the group of people that are going to be emotionally impacted the most by more and more medical evidence are going to be parents. And so if, um, if that type of advocacy can create policy change that holds children out during the most important developmental stages of their brain maturation, um, and, and now we have entrance age across America into tackle football at 14 instead of its first grade <laughs> right now, mm-hmm. you know, it's seven years old. Uh, I, you, you save seven years of head to head contact during those critical development mental stages. Um, and you give, you give, uh, adolescents bodies a, a chance to, to strengthen in their bones and their muscles. And, and so I, I, I think that th- that's where we can really win because once you're 18, um, and you step into, into potential coll- collegiate play and professional play. I just, I don't know how, you know, no matter how nefarious you might even believe the industry is, how, how do you, how do you come up against that? And, you know, instead of maybe attacking it from, you know, from a younger age demographic. You know, Ben, I, I'm, I'm passionate about this and, and in the interest of uh, full disclosure, um, you heard, um, I've got a, a, a slight uh, stutter or, or slur occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, I boxed when I was in the Army. Um, I never was knocked out, but as I learned more about this and things I'm recognizing of myself, I forget people's names, sometimes conversations. Mm-hmm. I, I hear this slur every once in a while. So, um, you know, for me, I, I, I really rely on the medical evidence, on the scientific evidence of this, and it's, it's clearly there. And so I have two boys, they're 11 and 13. There's no way they're mm-hmm. stepping on a football field or in a boxing ring. And so I, I, I love this game. It's a beautiful game um, in many ways, but, but it's, it's really difficult to be able to continue to address the support of something that we know is going to cause damage to someone's brain. And, right. you know, I, I, you have so much courage to be able to come out um, and advocate for the health and safety of the players. And I really appreciate your work. Oh, thank you. Well, it's, you know, I, it was interesting. My, my, uh, my exit from the NFL was was uh, un, unbeknownst to me going to be a pretty pivotal one in in, in regard to um, in, in regard to the principles of how to how to handle you know the rehabilitation and return to play of concussion um, and so it, it was kind of one of those things where I just got thrusted into that position and and. Um, you know, so I, I've I've just tried to be when I look at it through the lens of politics. I've tried to just really um, put certain feelings aside in order to 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 um, reach reach a goal. And I think that you know um, the more focused you can be on exactly what you know what you want to get out of out of your advocacy, I think I think the more impactful. I think the more impact, impactful it can be. And so that's why I talk a lot about kids. I have four daughters, so they are not going to step on the football field, but but whether it's soccer or uh, hockey, which is, you know, we're the state of hockey in Minnesota, and I've got a couple of girls that want to be involved in that. And, and so there's there's a lot of discussion, and and, um, and it's, it's obviously becoming, you know, an incredibly important, uh, much more important decision you know, for my children, just because of my own experiences. One thing that's really thrown me in looking into this and sort of frustrated me a bit is before you were talking about the idea of making sure that players are aware of the risks that they're taking on when they sign up to play football and possibly having care after they retire. But those risks themselves seem to be still being denied a bit by some officials in the league. You referenced Jerry Jones and there are others, um, I have some quotes here. Uh, the owner of the Houston Texans said that our medical experts still don't know the causes of CTE. And after this discussion, I don't think that there's any truth to that. Uh, as you said, Jerry Jones seems to flat out deny it. And even Roger Goodell, um, despite Jeff Miller, who's the league's senior vice president of health and safety, making the direct connection, they haven't made that connection since. And 
doesn't seem like anybody's willing to say that there's a real risk of uh, serious problems after you play this sport for a long period of time. Um, why do you think that is? Money. <laughs> you know, we're all going to say that at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, listen, it's always only never about one thing until it's not. You know, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not. There, there are there are really good reasons when it when it you know when decisions are made uh, that that it's not about money. Um, but you know, we're we're talking billions and billions and billions of dollars, and so I I just think that that always you know. That always is going to lead, unfortunately, lead decision making. Um, you know, and, and for the you know from the NFL's perspective, they don't even positive even positive uh, news around concussions. They don't want to be associated with because it it, it just it it, um, it tarnishes the brand that they have have built, and and they are brand experts. You know, you don't get there's no more powerful of a brand arguably in the world than, than the NFL. So I think that that's, that's really, you know, the, the, the quick, the quick answer to that question. Yeah. Now you seem to be really good at removing yourself from the emotional side of that, but what are your reactions to hearing things like that? To hearing even, I, I remember a recent press conference with Roger Goodell where he sort of argued, it seemed with a reporter and said that NFL players are going to live longer than the average American. So he doesn't understand what the concerns are. And again, just referencing quotes like Jerry Jones's and uh, Bob McNair's and even Jim Ursay, who's the owner of the Colts who you formerly played for, saying <laughs> that yeah. his quote, I have it here, and uh, he said to try and tie football, like I said, to suicides or murders or what have you, I believe is just so absurd as well as harmful to other diseases. And when you look at CTE, it seems like suicides and murders, of course, are an extreme uh level to reach from that but I don't think it's deniable that players like Junior Seau or Joe Van Belcher were affected by the head traumas that they suffered and those the end of their life was a direct result of them having played football at such a high level and had so many different head traumas so when you hear people who are major contributors mm -hmm. to the, the changes that can be made in the league make comments like that that seem like just pure denial what is your reaction to that? Well, I'd be lying if, if I, you know, in, in, in this three-year arbitration process that I went through, which is, I, I believe, the longest arbitration to ever exist in the, in the NFL. Um, they're typically three to six months, and mine were three years. Um, uh, and there's a, <laughs> that's a whole other, that's a whole other topic. But, but I think there, you know, I, I definitely went through you know, times of frustration and, and, um, and anger and, and disbelief. Um, you know, and I think it, I think once those set in, you, you begin to understand the identities and, and you begin to understand the character of, of different, of different, uh, people and different organizations. And, you know, so then it, you're not really as surprised, I guess, it, you know, so, um, you know, I, I, I'm not as surprised anymore when I hear those types of things. You know, it, it, it's case in point. I mean, I, I, I did a, one of the, one of the uh, interviews or I guess newspaper interviews that I did for my book release was with the New York times. And I got, I've gotten to know this writer, you know, for a long period of time and flew out to Minnesota and, and the whole story was really supposed to be around the, the the good message of my book and and um, the huge success I've had through my cognitive brain training and and how that's really kind of renovated my mind as I've I've said it and all these positive things and and um, the story broke and about a paragraph in it turned into a story about uh, asking the question are players profiting off of their concussions. And it began talking about, you know, did I receive uh, uh, any money for writing this book? And what am I doing with the money when I sell the book? And which they never even told the audience, which is that if I sell a, a book myself, it, all proceeds go to the American Brain Foundation. So 
but it, it portrayed it to be that way. And they interviewed one of the former CEOs of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I can't remember her last name, but it was uh, her first name was Gay. And she left a scathing quote. She's like, I think it's a something like, I think it's horrible when, when players, you know, are taking advantage of and making money off of their, off of their situations. And <laughs> so, you know, I just kind of, I've just decided I'm just not going to pay attention to that stuff. I mean, it, you know, the minute you, the minute you step out in any type of way strongly about something you believe in, you're, you're always going to face those, those types of, um, those types of situations. And so it's better to just keep focused and moving forward. And, and that's kind of, I think the way that I've chosen to just react to those differences of opinion. Well, Ben, you pointed out that the NFL is one of the the largest and most successful business machines on the planet, and so that any comment from medical staff representing the NFL is not credible, um, which is ironic because when Dr. Owalu published his first paper in 2002 in the journal Neurosurgery, um, they discounted it. They said it was a failed paper. It was flawed science, and the reverse is true. It was brilliant work. It was impeccable work. It was exquisite work. And so he was derailed from continuing, particularly by the NFL, and was discounted and, and discredited, which was really, um, it was brought to light in, in, the, in the book Concussion, which really gives the background of his upbringing, his training, and his study, and how he uh, determined that the CTE had occurred in Mike Webster's brain, which started this whole thing. Um, but I think that outside independent research and scientists need to come forward and present their work legitimately on a national audience and and not really just have the research done by someone representing the NFL. Well, yeah, and you've, you can, and, and uh, not just, not just Dr. Mahler, but look at, you know, look at Ann McKee. I mean, she's mm-hmm. been, she has been, I, I've been on some panels with her and, and she is fearless and she's worked so hard. Um, you know, in, in many ways, you know, more than Bennett, you know, in, in her pursuit for truth regarding chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And so, and, and she, same situation, just completely blackballed and ridiculed and, you know, medically degraded. And, and so, you know, I think that the injury is bigger than, than that, than it was, you know, five years ago when, when these types of things were happening. I mean, it's so, it's, it's such a spotlighted injury now that you can't help but, but have to talk about it. And, uh, and so we just got to keep, we got to keep, we got to keep, uh, you know, presenting that, that message uh, and, and, and really decide what that, what, what is the best message? What messages received the most? And, you know, I, I'd rather, I'd rather share, use, I'd rather use rhetoric that, that is going to be accepted and, and, uh, by, you know, larger numbers of people. And then as I get in to actually speaking with them, I can start to, to push those hot buttons then to start out with rhetoric that immediately closes the door because you're, you're you know, you're going to lose, you're going to lose high percentage of people that want to even listen to you. Yeah. I think that's very astute Ben, because you can scare people and that usually doesn't work. Um, and you know we've been shooting the messenger since the beginning of time, so you know it's it's a it's a brave thing to do to stand up, um, especially someone like yourself who's who's profited monetarily from the game of football. Um, uh, and it's not that you're anti-football; you're trying to to educate people so that they, when they participate, they're doing it with full disclosure. Um, but again, I'm just I'm concerned that you know, it, so we can't go to the top. The top is is going to ignore the evidence. Um, and I like this idea of changing the way that we handle youth football. So, you know, tackling drills are different now than they were when uh, we were kids. Um, so behind, you know, the head's behind the body, not in the chest, things like that. So we're making slow changes, and then medicine is looking at ways to, to counteract these effects. So we're, we're skating at this from a lot of different directions. Um, but I still wonder how much impact uh, this information makes um, on the average player. Um, you know, who's perhaps uh, in his mid-20s um, and, and hasn't, I'm not sure, has the cognitive capability to consider these, all of these implications. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I really like this mm-hmm. idea of, of that you, you come across with some science, you're not too 
too uh, provocative about it. And then you push the hot buttons once you have their attention. I think that's a, a good way to sort of get everybody on the same page is not to scare them away, bring them all together, and then seriously talk about uh, the ramifications of these mm -hmm. of these events. Yeah, I think I, I think that that's you know I think you talk to players differently than you talk to parents. Um, sure. You you talk to you know I mean it, it's it's really understanding the group of people that you're that you're spending time with and and um, and discovering you know what what it is they really care about and then and then and then spending time there so that they you start to soften those hearts and then you start to you start to bring in hot topics through discussion not through debate but just through good discussion and, and i think that that's where i found the most success um because oftentimes those parents are going to go back and really ponder what you had to say and you know i've, I've gotten more responses back positive responses back from parents you know going through that situation but as far as you know really affecting players um it really does come down to risk versus reward i think players that you see choosing to walk away with the information that they now have are people who look at their life and um they they already have a plan they, they, they have they have a, a firm identity in who they are they have multiple passions outside of football and they've already begun to think about what is that what is that uh what is that plan going to look like what is that what is what is my future going to look like i think those are the players that you see you know because they understand that the the risk that they're going to face for probably being in the nfl for a short period of time is not going to be worth um you know the reward and and that's not going to be the case with the majority of players i think the majority of players football is all they have and when that's all that you have and that's all that you've ever known um it's really hard to ask someone to to walk away from that and then you've got money on top of it and then you've got fame on top of it um and so it's a it's a tricky tricky question and all you can keep doing is caring about these guys and 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 um and just giving them as much information as you can and and hoping that they they make good decisions for their body if they ever face a concussion mm. it seems like there are more and more players every year too who are retiring especially under the age of 30. i had uh looked up a bit about that and one of the players that came up was John Urschel who retired from the Ravens this year just 26 and uh, he's doing exactly sort of what you're referencing he has an idea after football and he's actually pursuing a PhD in math at MIT uh, he was the 14th player to retire under the age of 30 this offseason and last year 20 retired under the age of 30 but it does seem like even though those seem like drastic numbers those are such small numbers compared to the number of players in the league and I think it's it's exactly because of the reason that you're pointing to here. Once they retire, it seems like they lose so much of their own identity. And right. I've read that in some of the pieces um, that I've sort of been able to explore here. It's, there were a couple on the Players' Tribune of players, whether uh, they decided to retire or were forced into retirement through concussions, talking about leaving the game and not really having a connection, not knowing their own identity and not knowing what to do with their days. Did you experience anything like that when you retired from the game? Uh, sure. Absolutely. I mean, I, I was blessed though to, you know, to, to grow up in a, in a family environment, um, that really promoted, uh, you know, diversity, uh, when it, when it came to, um, discovering who I am, what my passions are. I was, I was a three sport athlete. I was in, uh, you know, I was in a lot of music programs, um, which was a passion of mine. I was in speaking, and so there, there was, I had a lot of things that I was pursuing outside of football, even while I was playing in the NFL. So <clears throat> having that identity and having those passions, I really mm -hmm. think were, were what helped me transition out of, out of professional football. And, uh, but I can just, you know, I can, if I'm being completely vulnerable, I mean, I, I watched the game today, you know, I watched the Vikings play last weekend and see Kyle Rudolph 
the tight end over the middle, making a one-handed grab. And, it, you know, that I immediately go back to, you know, to those plays and to, to feeling what it felt like to run across that goal line. And uh, in Indianapolis, you know, every every game we, we, we won, uh, the game would end with confetti and, and U2's uh, beautiful day. And, you know, and, and, uh, and I would lift my helmet up in the air to my wife in the stands. And, I mean, it, that stuff is magical. It really is. It's, it, it, you know, I grew up in a small river town in Minnesota and, and uh, somehow, you know, was blessed to, to make it to the highest, you know, playing field. And, and I can't disregard that. I mean, that, that is, that was a very incredible experience and, and so it's it it is there is a lot of emotion there is a lot of memories and there's there is a lot of missing that is you know is involved with uh with a player's struggle to transition and speaking with i imagine you've spoken with some of the players who've faced difficulty in that transition what are the things that they deal with and uh how do you advise them to deal with those obstacles that they're facing Well, there's, there's hopelessness and, and there's, um, you know, there's depression, there's confusion. Um, and there's also, there's also joy. There's also, uh, excitement and, and new opportunity. And, and so you, you try and, you know, you, you try your best to kind of, um, figure out how you approach each one of those areas and, and typically, you know, I'm I'm always a, a promoter of of um, of you know really surrounding yourself with with solid relationships. I think that uh, if if you just decide to go into a dark room every day, nothing good is going to come out of that. Right. But if you are able to pursue groups of people that genuinely care for you, um, then you'll feel like you're part of a team again. Um, you'll you'll be building good relationships and and those relationships will will help you through the process and so that I think that would be one really important thing that I that I will continue to encourage in players. Yeah, I think it's it's important Ben to have um, community support um, you know for your individual for other individuals in the NFL and for other sports and. You know, it's 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 not like we're here trying to say we need to get rid of sports because sports are an important part of our life. They allow uh, uh, kids to learn all different kinds of things about life. They, um, you know, they're 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 physically active. Contact sports are important. They allow uh, catharsis and all kinds of important things. You know, I'm just I, I'm very happy that there are people like you, uh, Ben, because I think players will listen to other players, and especially when sure. those players like you're you're presenting today. You're very you're presenting a very reasoned response um you're not being mm. uh, bombastic about this at all um sure. and, and with the with the realization that football is important to you and and like you say when you're watching the games now you you relive those type of things i just don't want to see yeah. football becoming our gladiator sport well and that's so it, it, and it's tough though and you know we go back to trying to find a unified mission and vision within the medical community about the issue but the reality is, is that even with even with the 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 CTE um, uh, study and, and the results thus far, and, and you know, I'm a part of that uh, NIH um, study as an you know as as um, an investigator and really trying to help promote promote that. And there's there's going to be so much more information we're going to gain from that in the next five, ten years. But the reality is is that there's there still is a very broad spectrum, you know, you know you can you can go from uh, what's happening at Boston University with the NIH you can go uh, to where Bennett feels and then on the other opposite end of the spectrum you can go to um, someone a, a wonderful neurosurgeon here in Minnesota Dr. Uzma Samadani um, who is on the other end of the spectrum she promotes youth football and and she uses scientific uh, evidence as to why she promotes that and that it's actually very beneficial. And so there's, it's a sensitive, it's a sensitive topic right now that, that, um, that I really believe again, through 
what we learn in the next five to 10 years is going to really shape the future of it because that spectrum is really going to begin to narrow the more and more, um, the more and more players that we're able to study and the more and more information we're able to gain uh, so that we can be a much more decisive when it comes to this injury. And, and I'm looking forward to that because I think, I feel like that's really what's going to focus people is the evidence. Ben, have you considered that the neurosurgeon you reference is just looking for new patients? <laughs> well, I, you know, I've, I've that, met, I'm just uh, joking. Oh, okay. I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's actually, um, um, I'm beginning to do some work with uh, you know, the hospital networks up here that she's a researcher for and, and um, is very passionate about about CTE as well and, and discovering modalities um, that we can use to um, diagnose and and really begin to um, begin to start to give uh, you know immediate uh, rehabilitation decision making you know after after the concussion so everybody's passionate about it everybody cares deeply about it it's just how they look at it and and what you know what um what should be done about it is is where we're just off and so you know that's just going to take time i mean you guys you guys know better than much better than i do just what you know how slow you know how slow the the medical uh community is to to accept something you know it's it's kind of like law time when you get into legal time <laughs> it's, it's it's years so you just keep working hard and until you can until you can t- get that uh get that evidence right and yeah just because the science is there doesn't mean that the medical community has has adopted that science yeah right yeah that's a good point and i think that you're also right that there's a lot of people that are passionate about this and they're all working on their little part of it um and i'm really um and heartened by this conversation, um, that that we will find some ways to preserve this game and the integrity of this game and the, and the safety of the players, um, whether that's interrupting the the acute to chronic phase through some type of medications or rehab, or whether that's uh, mm-hmm. finding new types of equipment that protect uh, the brain, um, or changing maybe some of the rules of the game. But uh, I really enjoyed this conversation because I'm I'm leaving this feeling better about this instead of feeling worse about this. Oh, good. Well, that's yeah. That's I mean that's the goal. You know, that's the goal, and I I just think it's 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 the lens at which we choose to to see it through. But right, I think one one thing that you know, going back to this point, I, you know, the, the one well, there's a couple points. One, the you know, I I think that one thing that people unanimously can agree on is the the health and wellness of children and so i think that i think that that's where you really win and and then and then if football is and you win there through through advocacy 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 and affecting affecting really the one the one group that is bigger than the nfl and that that would be congress you know and, and figuring out how to you know, and, and the more the medical evidence we get to support it, you know, is there a way to, you know, to have a unified mission to, you know, to, to save the minds of children, um, uh, you know, at, at these early stages, but, but still give people that opportunity to, to enter into that um, at a later time. Well, ben, could I think, be possible. I, I, could I think, be possible. I think you're right that this may lie at the, the feet of Congress, but I don't think it's this particular Congress that's going to solve it. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, we can't get anything passed right now. So, but you know, it is it is the uh, I, I think it you know it does bring up um, you know not to talk politics, but it, I think the nature of it. I think what we've seen politically in our in our country, I think, really shows you this really shows you um, the effects of subjectiveness, you know, versus objectiveness, right? Of, right? of liberal decisions. And I'm not talking about different parties. I'm just saying, you know, to make decisions liberally versus making them conservatively, you know, for me, the conservative process is just, is, is really pertaining to the thought process you take using facts in order to make good decisions. And so I would promote that parents would really take 
a conservative approach to dealing with this injury. You know, don't don't take a liberal approach. Don't don't lead with the heart on this one. Lead with really good sound facts. Uh, do whatever you can to to learn as much as you can about it, so that you're not surprised um, when you when you make when your child faces it. You you need to do something about it, and and uh, and uh, and just use the facts to make good decisions. And I think more often than not, you know, they will. Thanks again for listening to The Scientific Method. We hope you enjoyed what you heard. We hope you enjoyed it so much that you feel inclined to write a review on iTunes and tell everybody else how much you loved it because it would make our day. Reach out to us and uh, let us know what you want to hear. Let us know what you think about the things that we've talked about so far. We should have a second follow-up episode on any of the topics. Exactly. If you have a question about something that we said, if something was unclear, we can bring people back on the show and... Maybe even give you a phone call during the show and you can ask your own questions. Yeah. So We called Ben Utech on this one. We so did. Who's we, to say we can't call you? We can call people. We mm. have that technology. We love to have people contribute to the things that we're doing. So if you have an idea, you have a thought for a blog, you want to write a blog, you want to come on the show, we want to hear from you. Um, and we're always open to having new people on our platforms. Yeah, we've had some great guests so far, and we look forward to having a lot of great guests going forward, and we look forward to hearing from you all soon and providing some more great content. Because we are going to hear from you soon, because you're going to write us. Yeah, you told us. You said that. You didn't know it, but you did. (laughs) So we'll hear from you soon. See ya. Subliminal messaging. Yeah. We'll do that in like... Got him. We'll do that in a changed voice. Tell your friends.